Well, good morning, everybody. Um, are you as astounded as I am that this semester is almost done? Hallelujah, somebody just said. Hallelujah. You've made it. Unbelievable. It seems like just a couple of months ago that you were just starting. Wait, it was just a couple of months ago that you were starting. That's why it goes so quick. Um, anyways, it's good to see you to the degree that I can see you. I, uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you here from the Gospel of John chapter 14. I invite you to lift up your hearts to hear God's word. Jesus said to his disciples as he was preparing to go the way of the cross and then to ascend into heaven, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back so that you may be where I am also. You know the way to the place where I am going. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in a week or two or maybe three, I don't exactly know your schedules, you students here um, will be headed home. Or maybe some of you won't actually be headed home. But I recognize that home is probably in one way or another on the heart. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about home this morning. What is home? The left-handed dictionary says home is the joint we go to when all the other joints are closed. Home is the place that when you go there, they, they have to let you in. Home is the place where you can scratch any place you itch. Finally, the left-handed dictionary says that home is the house on the hill with lots and lots of trouble. Christopher Lash puts it the other way. He says that instead of a house on the hill with lots and lots of trouble, home is, quote, a haven in a heartless world. What is home like for you? I was talking with a friend of mine uh, the week before last. His son is a police officer in Winnipeg. He's on the beat in a squad car. He was with a partner. They got a call to go and pick up a young man, 14, 15, 16 years old. I'm not sure because he was making a lot of trouble. They apprehended him, put him in the back of the squad car and started driving back to the station to process him. As he was in the back of the car, he's thrashing about, he's kicking his legs, he's punching, but most of all, he is swearing up a storm and calling the two police officers in the front by every name imaginable, calling them pretty nasty things. This goes on for four, five, six minutes. Jeff has had enough. Jeff tells his partner, pull over the car. Please, pull over. He gets out, goes around to the back, opens the door, and he says to this young man, he says, get out, stand up here. He says, look at me for a second. I want to talk to you. Can I just talk to you for one second? Can you be quiet for a minute? Kate quiets down. He says, do you know me? Have we ever met? The kid says, no. He says, do you know my partner? Look at him. Have you ever seen my partner? Have you ever met him in your life? No. Okay, so you know nothing about me. You know nothing about my partner. You don't know what we've been through. You don't know what struggles we've been through. You don't know what kind of stuff we had to put up in our own life, with our, in our own life. And yet here you are calling us all of these names, Going off, spouting off like that. Look, you're better than that. You can do better than this. You know what the kid said back to him? 
He said, officer, can you take me home with you? I am fully cognizant that home means very different things to people in this audience, that we are, as it were, a mixed company this morning. To some of us, home, like this young man, is a place of heartbreak. And to others of us, home is a place of blessing, incredible blessing. And then there are, of course, a large company of us for whom it's a little bit of both. We find ourselves in between. What I would like to do this morning, uh, briefly, is to address both of the major camps, to give a word of encouragement to those of you for whom home is a place of brokenness and you feel brokenhearted about it, and to give a word of challenge, actually, to those of you for whom home is a blessing, all other things considered. Okay, so a word of encouragement and a word of challenge from God's word. So first, a word of encouragement to those of you for whom home is a place of brokenness and hardship. Here's the first thing I want to say. Please do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the situation that's going on at home. It is almost certainly not your fault, and you are not alone. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, home has been a place of brokenness. It's been a place of heartbreak. You do not need to look very far in Scripture to discover this truth. Anything that you might be experiencing in your home characters in scripture have experienced. One of the most remarkable things of scripture is its level of honesty, of the Christian Bible, is its level of honesty. And no, not least of all, the honesty of the brokenness in families, the brokenness that we see at home. What have you got going at home? Just take one book of the Bible, take Genesis. Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells with your parents because their relationship is broken? The first thing Adam and Eve do after they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after they rebel against God, is they refuse to take responsibility for their own junk. And so in their marriage, they play the blame game, right? God comes to Adam. Adam blames his wife. Adam refuses to take responsibility for what he has done. Instead, he blames his wife. And then his wife blames the serpent, and as biblical scholars like to say, then the serpent had no leg to stand on. It's brokenness immediately in the marriage. What about with siblings? You're not alone in that either. Cain killed Abel. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob's brothers wanted to kill their brother Joseph, but instead sold him into slavery. What about family dysfunction in other areas? How about family dysfunction, just to pick up one example, that goes from generation to generation? Rebecca and Isaac have got a favoritism problem in their family. Isaac favors Esau. Rebecca favors Jacob. And then generationally, what does Jacob do? You remember? He favors Joseph. Have you got, when you look at your family, generational sin, you can look at the generation before you and you go, my goodness, it's happening again. It's happening again. Don't be ashamed is what I want to say to you first of all. Ever since they chose to eat of the one fruit instead of the orchard that God was offering, the family has been a place of brokenness. You are not alone. You're not a freak. You're not an oddball. It's okay. And the second thing I want to say to you is take great heart. The pain that you are feeling now because of your broken home will 
pass. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back so that you may be with me where I am also. What's the house? Well, the house is a temple. Which temple is Jesus talking about? He's talking about God's macrocosmic temple, which is to say, this heavens and earth, which he is in the process of renewing. And one day, he will make it entirely new, and this earth all made new, where there will be no more divorce, there will be no sibling, more sibling rivalry, there will be no more complexities like we experience in them now. That will be our home. So, Look to the future and you'll say, well, what good does that do to me now? I'll tell you what it does to you now. It gives you perspective. It gives you a Christian mind. One of the hallmarks of the Christian mind, as written about in this book here, The Christian Mind by Harry Blamiris, is that it looks to eternity. It recognizes that most of the experiences we have now, all of the experiences which are negative are like smoke. They're going away. Sometimes we try to hold on to them or we import significance into them and say, this is the most important thing right now and I don't have it, therefore, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in terms of blessed are those who mourn. But we can look to eternity and say, the best is yet to come. Let me read you a very brief quote from Blamaris here. The Christian mind sees human life and human history held in the hands of God. It sees the whole universe sustained by his power and his love. It sees the natural order as dependent upon the supernatural order, time as contained within eternity. It sees this life, here it is, as an inconclusive experience preparing us for another. This world as a temporary place of refuge, not our true and final home. In the meantime, the author of the Gospel of John says, we invite Christ into our hearts or in an Advent theme, we invite Christ to live within us as Mary did, who became a host to the word, and Jesus becomes our home. We become at home now with Christ as we await our final home in his presence. So do not be ashamed and look toward what is yet coming. That's what I want to say to those of you who are going to broken homes. And then to those of you who are coming from mostly Blessed homes, homes that have been a source of life, a source of encouragement, where you love to see your parents and they love to see you and your siblings and you get along and all the like of that. The first thing I want to say is do not make your family an idol because we can begin to put our family before everything else, including God. But the Bible says that our primary allegiance must be to the Lord. And if it comes to choosing between our family or the Lord, it's very clear what we must choose according to scripture. Sometimes we need to be rattled a little bit because our families are becoming the primary thing that we are allegiant to. This is why I think in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham to be his new humanity in the world, the first thing he says to Abraham is that King James Version puts it, which I love. You know what it says? It says, Abraham, get out. Get out of your homeland, your country, and your father's household. If Abraham's going to be any earthly good, he's got to first be disconnected from his family. Maybe some of you guys are going through some stuff right now because God is working that in your life so that he remains and is the primary allegiance because the temptation for you is to make your family, your home, 
the thing of supreme importance in your life. I'm not saying it's not important. Please don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying don't cherish it, don't love it, and don't be good to your parents and your siblings. Absolutely do all that. But again, we need to check whether our primary allegiance is to the Lord, as Jesus says in Matthew's gospel. If anyone loves mother or father or brother or sister more than me, he is not worthy to be called my disciple. So that's the first thing. Make sure you're not making your family an idol. And then the second is, instead of an idol, a mission, right? In the broadest possible fashion, we Christians understand that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. This is no less true of the family, in fact, Catholic theologians call the family a domestic church. You're just the church in miniature, a healthy Christian family. You're like the church in miniature. You're blessed to be a blessing. And one of the ways that we do this and encourage to this in Scripture is by exercising the same kind of hospitality that Jesus exercised to those around him, making them his brothers and sisters. Being for the fatherless as a father. Being for the motherless as a mother. Jesus um, from the cross in John's gospel, John chapter 19, in a beautiful heart-piercing moment, says to Mary, and this is unique to John, by the way, says to Mary, what? Sorry, his mother. He says, mother, pointing to his disciple, here's your son. Son, pointing to his mother, this is your mother. In Jesus, people who were once not family are made the family of God. And in our Christian families, we are to invite others in. Be the brothers and sisters they didn't have, the moms and dad they didn't have. Let me read to you two quotes that I absolutely love, which pick this up. There's a book called Mr. God, This is Anna, which depicts this well. Listen to this description of mom. Being embraced by mom was like tangling with a gorilla. Mom had arms like other people have legs. Mom had a unique anatomical structure which still puzzles me for she had a 14 stone heart and a 12 stone body. She had a 14 stone heart and a 12 stone body. It's like us saying she had a 250 pound heart and a 100 pound woman. This is what we can be for others as well. Whether we come from broken homes or from blessed homes. We can be those loving arms that are embracing those who simply need a hug. And then in C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, I don't know if you've read The Great Divorce, it's very much worth a read. It's kind of an exploration of Christian virtue and Christian, Christian vice, yeah, Christian vice of vice. But the whole context of the book is it's an imaginary thing where people who are in hell get to go and they get to visit heaven and they, get a, they can be guided in heaven. And there's a scene where one person is being led around by a guide and at one point he sees this woman who has an entourage of children, of boys and girls and animals and angels and they're throwing petals and they're singing beautiful songs. And he wants to ask, who are these people? And who is this woman? Well, this woman, the guide says, was an absolute nobody on earth. Nobody knew her at all, really, in the eyes of the world. She had no fame, if you will. But yet in heaven, she was magnificent and had great fame. So here's the quote. The visitor asks, who are all these young men and women on each side? The guide replies, they are her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. 
Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on her own parents? No, said the guide. There are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. In her, they became themselves. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. Isn't that a wonderful line too? In her, they became themselves because she received them and loved them where they were at. And each one of us can do that. So whether you're going home into a state of brokenness or not even able to go home, my encouragement to each one of us is to be that love toward those around us this Christmas time, those who really need it. Let me just pray for us and we will conclude. Lord God, we thank you that you are willing to become human and willing to tell us in the flesh that um, you love us as much as you do to make us a part of your eternal family. Lord, we pray that the love that you and the Father and the Spirit share would also be dominant in our hearts so that we may share love with those around us. Some of us feel there's not much we can do, but a simple, kind word, an invitation to a meal, an invitation to a coffee can go an awful long ways, especially in this era of terrible loneliness. I pray for the students, Lord, for faculty and staff, whoever is here, that as we go into family contexts which might be riven and filled with strife, that you would give us incredible grace, that you would be merciful to us and allow us to be your loving presence indeed. Thank you for hearing us and for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.